If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3. We'll be reading the entire chapter. Second Peter 3. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Beloved, I now write you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And considering that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking to them of these things, in which are some hard things to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You also, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to be to him to be the glory both now and forever. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Grant us this morning, Heavenly Father, the ability to know you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. You have brought us into your kingdom through your only begotten Son. Help us not to forget you, Father, and all you have done for us. Open our ears to hear your word and its truth. Open your hearts to receive that truth and transform our minds to apply that truth in our lives. Give us courage to stand fast on your word and not to turn to the left or the right. Hold us close. Build us up in your truth. Open your word. Guide us in its study. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Peter wrote both of these letters to encourage and direct believers to live holy and godly lives. He has made it very clear that living such a life is not how you get into the kingdom of God. It is a show of your love, of your appreciation to the one who has called you into his kingdom. To the one who has made possible your acceptance by his perfect life, atoning death, and resurrection victory. Peter said in the first chapter of this epistle that it is your responsibility to make sure calling and election sure. He said that God has given to every believer everything needed for life and godliness. You have not been thrown into this life without preparation. God has called you. He justified you. He adopted you. And he is sanctifying you and preparing to glorify you. He provides everything needed to accomplish all of these things in the believer's life. But having declared all of this and shown its truth, the apostle also wants you as a true believer in Jesus Christ to understand that this great and wonderful gift comes personal comes personal responsibility. The responsibilities which are designed to show God's work in your life. James in James 2.14 asks, What does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now this is a very good question. Does faith have any evidence with it? He also asks, Can faith save him? Is it possible that a man can be saved by faith and there be never be any outside evidence of that faith in his life? James goes on to say, thus faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James and Peter say the same thing. You as a believer, a believer in Jesus Christ, must show that all of your trust, all of your hope is in him and in him alone to be saved. They both have in the doctrine of justification by faith. The thing they want you to do, once you have accepted this doctrine is to go out into this dark world and show your belief to others. In fact, they both say this is absolutely imperative. For God has, as Paul said, prepared these good works for you to do before you were ever saved. You must, you must, if you are a true believer, engage in good works. The first of those good works is to believe in Jesus Christ. And then to do the same types of things he did, which he did was spread the good news. Go out and minister to all the needs you find in the lives of others. This idea is summed up in the teaching of the apostle in this letter. Peter calls you to think clearly. He says, focus on the teaching of the prophets and apostles. He warns of the dangers of listening to false teachers and are of being influenced by scoffers. He reminds you of the importance of the teaching of Jesus' second coming. He points out that it is important to remember the truth of God and use the creation account and the destructive power of the flood to show how important this is. He says the false teachers and scoffers like to forget these truths 
and to replace them with myths from their own imaginations. Yet, you know, when you hold to the truth that God did create all things and did destroy the world by flood, you're better prepared. Better prepared to understand all things marked by sin will be destroyed and that Jesus Christ is coming back for his people. Peter has taught about time and how your understanding of time is not God's understanding of time. He explains the patience of God in delaying the coming of that great and terrible day in order to allow more men to be saved. He also tells you very clearly, that day will come. It has been decreed by God, and you must, as a believer, be ever ready and expectant of his coming because it will come when it is least expected. He gives to you hope. Hope beyond compare as he reminds you that when this old heaven and earth are destroyed, there will be a new heaven and earth. A place where sin cannot enter. It will be, as Peter says, the home of righteousness. And it will be the home of all who have come to Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for their salvation. Peter comes to the end of this letter with these final words. He says, you are looking forward to this new world in which righteousness dwells, making the new earth the glorious home of righteousness in which this new earth will shine in all of its glory. Therefore, since you have been given the gift of faith, you should be already beginning to exhibit the personality of one who is a resident of this glorious new place. He lays before you your responsibility, your help, and your direction. Peter, having spoken of the day of the Lord and how believers should be prepared for its immediate coming, he now turns to your responsibility as believers. Verses 14 and 15a. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The word, therefore, transfers us from Peter's words on the day of the Lord to his teaching on our responsibility. What he wants you to understand is that the blessings of this home of righteousness that will come with Christ should already be at work in your hearts and lives. Again, we hear Peter call these people dear friends or beloved ones. Peter is a true pastor. He has a pastor's heart. He wants these people to know the truth. He's not blinded by his desire to have them like him. He wants them to love the truth as he does. He wants them to know that his love for them makes him, makes, makes him bring them the truth. In other words, it's because of his love that he's given them that truth. He also knows that the true believer must live by hope. John Calvin says, for hope is living and efficacious, therefore it cannot be but that it will attract us to itself. The great hope, the great hope of every believer's heart has to be the hope of Christ's return. For it is in that return that all of the promises fulfilled and your hope becomes reality. Peter rests his appeal on this when he says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. 
your hope. Your hope is grounded in the promise of Christ. His promise to come again and take you to be with Him in heaven for eternity. Since this is your hope and is the foundation of your faith, what should you do? You should work, or as he puts it here, be diligent. This seems to be a strange statement to hear coming from someone who believes so strongly in justification by faith alone. The work he is calling you has absolutely nothing to do with your receiving justification by faith. Paul tells you in Romans 4, 5, but he to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Your salvation comes from God's grace, not your own works. Therefore, it should be clear, Peter does not mean these are works by which you earn from God anything. Peter has continually called believers to make every effort to be diligent. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, giving all diligence. In chapter 1, verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Other translations have it all the more eager, which is the same phrase in the Greek. Peter calls all who are believers to be diligent, to be eager, to make sure, to make every effort to be faithful to show their love and appreciation to God and to Jesus Christ for their salvation. Therefore, since this day of the Lord is the heart of your hope, then you must make every effort to be found spotless, blameless at the peace of God. Paul makes this same application in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. There can be no doubt. No doubt but that believers have a responsibility in this process of salvation. Peter says it is to live a spotless and blameless life at peace with God. This is a real dilemma. The scripture says you're justified by faith alone. That God is the initiator of your salvation and you're completely passive in it. Yet both Peter and Paul now indicate you have works to do. Peter says these works come because of the great hope you have in the return of Jesus Christ. Paul says you do these works because God is working in you to accomplish his will and purpose. This also should convince you that the works you do come after God has begun his work in you. That he will not stop it, as Paul declares in Philippians 1.6, until it's complete. God's in control. God's sovereign. Remember the whole of the work God is doing? It is to mold you into the image of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, Peter says, you should be following the example of Christ who was without blemish or defect. I think Peter is being very careful here to show the difference between false teachers and true believers. He said false teachers were blots and blemishes. True believers must be spotless and blameless. The most important work then you as a believer have is to show yourself to be a true follower of Jesus Christ.
Please, I beg of you to understand it is not enough to simply say, I believe in Jesus. You must show through your thoughts, words, and deeds that you do believe and trust in him as your Savior. James says, faith without works is dead. Peter puts forth the same idea. A lively faith will produce works. This is brought to a conclusion in the last part of verse 14 when he says, be diligent to be found by him in peace. The true believer should understand that it is through Jesus Christ and his works alone that they are justified by faith and that the consequences that follow that justification are peace between them and God. Paul declares in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to work to earn your salvation. The, the covenant of works said work. Earn your place with God. Jesus came and fulfilled that covenant of works on your behalf. And now if you place your hope and trust in him, you're under the covenant of grace, and you do not have to earn your salvation. The only way you can show the wonder of this peace is through the study of God's word and obedience to his commands. This is the peace to which Paul refers. And believe me, this requires work on your part. If you want the peace in this life, you're going to have to work for it. It's yours right now, but it will not be yours in total until you get to heaven and you need to be working to show that you want that peace. This is the peace to which Paul refers, and believe me, this requires work on our parts. Failure in this will not lose your salvation, but repeated and continual failure to work at this peace will show you to be one who has never received salvation. God speaks to you directly through the scripture. What does he ask of you? He asks you to hear and understand his word by faith. He calls you to claim salvation through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus requires you to take his word to heart, follow his teaching, and hold to the promises with an unwavering hope. Peter says, and I read from the NIV, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Again, this is a call to think. Remember the false teachers and scoffers? What is it they belittled? It's the hope of Christ's return. Here, Peter says he wants you to keep at the forefront of your minds the reason for Christ's delay in returning. He delays so that many more can come to the wonder of this salvation freely offered by God's grace. The picture of God's grace and patience is clearly shown in the parable of the prodigal son. The son left home, got into trouble because of his sin. Note, the father does not go out looking for his son. Had he done so and invited the son to come home, he would have had no assurance the son would have come. Instead, the father waited. He waited with great patience. He waited for the son to be overcome with his sin and to change his mind about his place with the father. The son came to his senses. He repented of his sin before God. And then he asked his father's forgiveness. The father's patience was rewarded. Peter calls the grace of God that leads to salvation patience. Paul says the same thing, only calling it goodness or kindness in Romans 2, 4. 
Or do you despise the riches of this kindness, goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? This is an appropriate response to the kindness, goodness, and patience of God in bringing you to him, saving your soul, and giving you the wonderful, glorious hope of Christ's return. You should make every effort to show your love and appreciation for this one who saved your soul. The prodigal, when he came to his senses, said he would return to his father and be happy to work as one of his hired servants. The father took him back as his son. God has saved your soul. He has made you alive and adopted you as his child. You as his child should want to work and do everything you can to show your appreciation of your place with him. How do you, as a sinner saved by grace, go about living a life that is pleasing before God? You don't have within you the ability to please God. In God's eyes, you are a worthless character who has rebelled against him. Jeremiah 2.5, Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and become idolaters? This is your condition before God. You're worthless. So as worthless idolaters, how do you do what God has called you to do? First, you place your faith, your hope, your trust in the one God sent from heaven to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Jesus Christ came to live the perfect life, die the atoning death, and win the resurrection victory because you could do none of that on your own. Second, you come to the revelation he has given to learn what is required of all who follow Jesus Christ. Verses 15b and 16. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking to them of these things in which are some hard things to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. In these verses. Peter says, your help in carrying out this service to which you are called will come from the word of God, from the scripture, both old and new. Peter has already said, you should hear the wisdom from the prophets and apostles. Here he mentions the apostle Paul in particular. He says, God gave to Paul much wisdom. And it's wisdom that will help guide you in your Christian walk. Peter also shows that some of the things Paul wrote were hard to understand. Everything he wrote was directed at helping you as a believer to grow in your relationship with God and with other believers. If anyone's writing in the New Testament makes clear that the Christian religion requires you to think, it's most definitely the writings of Paul. Paul says some of the false, these false teachers are taking the things Paul wrote and through ignorance and perverted thinking, using them in the wrong way. He also makes clear that their actions will lead them to total destruction. The greatest gift we have been given, apart from the incarnate Christ, is the revelation of Christ. Christ said of his words in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. 
He also declares in John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. How? How can you live your life in a pleasing way before God? Listen to his word. Hear its message and obey its commands. This is not a formula for salvation. It's a way in which you can grow in your love and appreciation of what Christ has done for you. Peter says, hear the wisdom of Paul and implied is the wisdom of all of Scripture. Here's your guide to the pleasing life before God. This is the same thing Jesus did when he spoke to people. He appealed to the wisdom of God as it had been written in the Scriptures. Paul places all of the New Testament writers on the same level in 1 Corinthians 2.10 when he says God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Paul shows you through the example of the Thessalonians how how you must accept the teaching of all the apostles. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 Not as as the Word of God, but as it is in truth the Word of God. Paul has already taught about the writing of Scripture as the work of God and man. 2 Peter 1.21 But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Here's your help. It's the Word of God. It gives you everything you need to live a pleasing life before God. There are two Two very important lessons in this letter from Paul, and he again reiterates them in the last two verses, verses 17 and 18. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter again addresses his readers as dear friends. He's their pastor. He wants with all of his heart for them to hear his words and examine their hearts to make sure of their love for Christ. He says, since you know this beforehand, since you already know all that I've told you, remember Peter was reminding them of the truths they already had. He understands believers need to be constantly reminded of the great and wonderful truths of Scripture. We have a tendency to forget. Once you're put into remembrance of these things, then you need to beware. The idea is that you are guarding yourself. You are guarding your heart against the lies these heretics are placing before you constantly. This is why I keep telling you Christianity requires you to think. You must constantly be remembering the truth and comparing it to everything that comes into your life. You cannot let your guard down for even one moment. You cannot afford to be away from the preaching and teaching of the truth for even a short period of time. It is the constant rehearsing of God's truth that keeps you in shape to fight against the arrows of the false teachers and the myths of the scoffers. That is exactly what Peter goes on to point out when he says you are being led away with the error of the wicked. It is your responsibility to be ever watchful for error and deceit. 
If you continue to place yourself under the authority of those who do not hold to God's word and teach his truth uncompromisingly, then you run the very great and dangerous risk of being caught in their deception. Simply knowing the truth and saying you hold to it will not protect you from evil plots. The scriptures say you should flee from temptation and the greatest temptation you will ever face is to believe a lie. Also, you must understand teaching, teachings are always linked to the conduct the man who teaches lies will conduct his affairs with honesty, without honesty. Therefore, Peter says, these men who teach lies are wicked and lawless men. If you continue to associate with them, you will also become a slave of lawless actions. In other words, you will be thinking rebellious thoughts, speaking mutinous words and seditious, doing seditious acts. You will be showing yourself to be devoid of faith and thus a man without Jesus Christ and without hope. Peter says you will fall from your steadfast position. Those who do not stop and think about the truths of God's word and continue to keep them in their hearts and minds at all times are in great danger. Believing in these truths and making them an integral part of your life is what faith is all about. This is what gives faith. It gives it the power it requires to change the life. And the one who claims to have faith but is not changed by it is shown to be one who has never been secure to start with. In the last verse, Peter gives his second exhortation, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Instead of following these false teachers and scoffers into their state of unbelief, Peter says there's an alternative. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is not a hard solution to find. However, it is, a, it is hard to follow because of your sinful nature. The only way you can be sure you're following it is to constantly be studying the scripture and thus growing in grace and in the knowledge of what Christ has done for you. The grace in, is, is what we talk about when we speak of justification by faith alone. You are saved by God's grace through faith which is his gift, and it is focused on Jesus Christ and on him alone. Understanding what Luke writes in Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ and Christ alone. Along with that goes the, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not an intellectual knowledge but a heart knowledge. Now please understand, that's not to say you should not have an intellectual understanding of who Christ is and what he has done. The real knowledge he's speaking of is a heart recognition of your own sinfulness and your complete failure before God. An understanding of your total inability to function under God's law and your absolute need of divine action to the reconciliation with your Creator. The heart knowledge you must have is of Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior of his people. You must know him as your only hope, and you must give to him 
all of the love, all of the appreciation you can muster through living your life as he directs. Peter ends this letter with an example of how you can show such honor. It's a statement that will fill your heart with great joy as you look at Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. My friends, these letters of Peter, each one of you, calls each one of you to live holy lives because your God is holy. If you understand the true gospel, you know you cannot do that under your own power or by your own ability. Therefore, you must place your hope in Jesus Christ and the works he has accomplished. The scripture calls all men to hear and believe. It calls all men to confess their sins and repent. It calls them to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Peter has shown you can only show that you are truly God, Christ by working to make your calling and election sure. It is your responsibility to work hard to show that the truths of God's word you have heard are changing your life. This is not about earning from God's salvation, but about returning to him something of the love he first showed to you. Peter put it far better than I can when he says, to him be glory both now and forever. This is the final word. It shows both the responsibility and the direction of the Christian. Westminster Divines understood this also. And I end with the first question of the Shorter Catechism, which pretty well sums up Peter's message. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You can only make this the center of your life by making the scripture the center of your search for knowledge and hope. Making Christ your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you're our refuge and strength. You're an ever-present help in our troubles. We come to you this morning in worship and praise. We come without fear of the circumstances of this life because we know you're with us and that you are the almighty God, the sovereign Lord and creator of this world. We gathered here this morning to hear your word proclaimed, to hear the gospel of our Lord and Savior. We lift our voices in thanks before you because we know how helpless and hopeless we are without you. Remember our frailty and strengthen us in your grace and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.